Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're doing okay. I know that this is a crappy time of year for some of us, so uh, my thoughts are with you if you're finding it difficult in these dark nights during these festive times. Uh, And also sometimes maybe you feel fine and that can feel weird as well. So uh, however you're feeling, I hope that it is vaguely pleasant. This is our last show of the year. Thank you so much if you have listened to the intros, especially because I don't think everybody does. Um, and you have tweeted and you have subscribed and you have shared or you've rated, reviewed or you've emailed me or told your friends about the show. I still am astounded at how wonderful this incredible Griefster community is. So thank you so, so much. Um, if you have been listening to the intros, you'll know that uh, this is going to be the last one of the year and the last one for some time uh i am pregnant i'm having a baby next year i'm writing a book so um i thought it'd be good to have a a little bit of a break so uh apologies we won't be with you for a while we will come back i don't know when uh i will still be on the twitter at the griefcast and the instagram when i can unlock it still haven't managed that yet um so if you need to get hold of me you still can i'll still be tweeting lots of useful references and links and things but for now the griefcast is going to have a little sleep This week is another highlights episode, now that's what I call Griefcast, part four. 
part one and two were last year, part three was last week, and this is the final bit of the quadrilogy. That's not a word. Uh, yeah, some of you tweeted your favourite moments of the year, and Kate and I went through some as well, and so here they are. First up, you're going to hear the amazing Edith Bowman talking about her beautiful, beautiful granddad. Uh, if you haven't listened to the episode, it's it's really heartfelt and really sweet and um, yeah, just super lovely. Then you'll hear writer Joel Golby who came in to talk to me about the death of both his parents. Joel is extremely funny and this story is very, very good. And after that, you will hear the brilliant Dustin Lance Black talking about his brother's death. I think because it happened at Christmas as well, it was slightly... In our world, Christmas was very different to other people's because we worked on Christmas Day oh, in the wow. hotel because we served like Christmas lunch yeah, to like 300 yeah. people. So even when I was down here and doing telly, I'd still go home and waitress on Christmas Day. <laughs> you know, it was kind of what was expected of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but that was just, I just kind of, I locked myself away, to be honest. So that was Christmas Eve 2003. So you just slipped away on mm. Christmas Eve. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's not many deaths that are that peaceful that yeah. I hear about you know what I yeah. mean that's kind of incredible isn't yeah. it and it must have been like you said so you must have felt so privileged to have been there yeah totally I think that that almost kind of helped me helped me deal with the fact that you know I knew it was going to be a massive void yeah yeah but being with him when he and seeing how peaceful he was yeah, and how easy it yeah. was for him and it was his time yeah and I knew that he was you know, he was desperate to get back to her. That is, like, that is an Because he never had love. another partner or girlfriend never? the whole time. That, wow. uh, yeah. Which is quite, I think that is unusual at that time as well. Yeah. Maybe that's a sweeping generalisation, but I feel like, you know, the mortality rates were higher and, the, you know, you did die younger. And yeah. it, I suppose it was, especially men, I hate to say it, but yeah. it's like statistically much more common that men do remarry, just just facts yeah um so that whole time he obviously yeah. just was completely heartbroken for her yeah oh that Amazing, is like isn't it? so beautiful yeah. and had um like when you went to spread those ashes had had your dad and your aunt been back to that yeah yeah they and had. we went as we went as kids down there because my my gran had a sister called win so yeah we used to go down and visit auntie win and stuff oh. and 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 kind of visit my dad would visit his mum's grave. Wow, so he still stuff. had that connection yeah. down. My granddad there. didn't go down that much though. Yeah. It must have been so mm. painful. And especially you said that if he'd never really talked about it, then yeah. that grief must have been absolutely frozen in time of just yeah. like it's weird. It's like, you know, and the thing that I didn't ask him was why he didn't talk about it. Yeah. Was it because people didn't know how to talk to him about it? Mm. Or they didn't want to talk to him about it because they didn't want to upset him? Mm. Or was it because he asked them not to? You know, it's that thing of like... Yeah, it's so what, hard, what, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, when you know that someone's passed away that's close to someone, it is a tricky conversation to navigate. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of, you want to be considerate, you want to be helpful. yeah. But especially in such tragic circumstances and he's you know hold, left holding the baby literally yeah. so I guess it's just of that time people just were like oh well you yeah. have to carry on yeah. and and there was such a focus from what I've gleaned on bizarrely it's sort of healthy in some ways of like just moving forward which is in some ways it's a, a good attitude you yeah. know in times of war yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just keep going forward but yeah to not acknowledge the the pain that he must have felt it must yeah. have been so but then I guess he was surrounded by people with deaths and losses and things yeah. like that and yeah. yeah you know mother's mortality was much higher yeah, in those yeah, days yeah. wasn't it so I guess people just were like 
it's a terrible thing that happened. Okay, let's just move on. Yeah. But what I can't... That just that journey, living in Plymouth with, you know, a son and a baby and then having to take them all back to Scotland. Yeah. Um, that must have been so... Matt, like so difficult for him. Yeah. Like now you think about it with now. A, with a with a newborn with a baby newborn. and a three year old son. Yeah. But I guess it's that family thing, isn't it? Like he had like yeah, yeah. three brothers and three sisters. Wow. So I guess um, they were like just come home. Like, yeah. Help. So it was like just everybody. Yeah. You know, kind of, and his his mum and dad were still around wow. as well up there. So everybody was in that kind of area. So, you know, the only reason he was down there was he was posted down there for the navy yeah, yeah. which is where he met my gran and then stayed down there but yeah oh my goodness so, yeah that's so beautiful that that's all he wanted to so yeah. did he talk about um yeah he t- he said always that's what he wanted to yeah. happen so he talked about his own death then yeah totally sort of relaxed way yeah in a really relaxed way it's funny isn't it yeah like, it's really funny and i don't know whether that's because he had also because of the stroke that he had when yeah, yeah. you know he was he was days away from like retiring um, he was a painter and decorator, and he had the stroke. And he was a healthy man, mm. and then he had the stroke, and it was it was months after my brother was born, actually. So I kind of felt for my brother as well because he didn't get the same experience with granddad yeah. that, that I'd had, sort of thing. But still had a great relationship with him, and yeah, and then he used to do this great thing. So every day, when he once he was out of hospital, when he was home in Pitt and Weem, he would walk to Anstruther along this this road from Pitwim to Anstruther. If you're kind of walking from Pitwim to Anstruther, on your left is like this amazing sprawling countryside, wow. and on your right is this is the Firth of Forth. Wow, um, it's amazing. It's yeah, kind yeah, of, it's absolutely stunning. And so he would walk this road, come you know, rain or shine, yeah. and everybody would peep and offer him lifts. And he <laughs> and he had a, he was paralysed on one arm. Oh he could my walk, God. but one arm, and with his good arm, he just wave them on. You know, no, I'm fine, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> And then he'd come along and he would read the papers at my mum and dad's, see us when we got home from school, and then my dad would take him back along in the car for his tea. So he'd wow. do that every, like, during the week, he'd do that every day. Just so he was, you know, it was his exercise yeah. and it was his fresh air and it was a little routine. The house we had growing up was weird. It was weird. And our front room was, like, terracotta orange with an eye-level, thin, gold line painted right around the room. <laughs> I read about that and I just... You're right, it is that real changing rooms when everyone started doing shit to their house but yeah. not always knowing what they should nah, be doing. Nah. Stenciling and, the, like, yeah, the line round yeah. to mimic the kind of dado rails. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But in houses that wouldn't have ever had them anyway. Nah. <laughs> we, also, we had curtains. She was a very good seamstress. My mother. She was very good at, like, making fabric things yeah yeah lost my words there. working with textiles there we go yeah she was very good with a sewing machine and so you know she like made all the curtains in our house and our front room in the summer had like linen curtains but she'd she went down the road because we had like a, a our our road's first indian family moved in a couple of years <laughs> before and she went to go and like speak to the mum and ask her to like write things in I want to say Sanskrit, but I'm not quite Could sure. Be Hindi or Urdu or yeah, Sanskrit, yeah, 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 but not a language or even alphabet we were familiar with. And then she like hand painted like those on the curtains. <laughs> wow! And then in a bright orange room with a gold line. <laughs> so it was mayhem in there. It was it was bold. 
It was bold. It's bold, yeah. <laughs> so when the funeral guy came in, he sat down, he, he sort of, you know, he got his folder out and then he looked around, he was like, I know this room. <laughs> because that's the kind of room it was. You were like, yeah, if you've been in this one. <laughs> it's not going to leave you. That's not going to leave you. And then he was like, you. have I done this before? And we were like, yeah, you did that. Yeah. He's like, Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Oh, I remember. And Gold it's line. still orange. Yes, yep. it is. Yep. Not for long, but yes, it is. <laughs> In our family, thankfully, we had an example set by my mom that tears were a sign of strength. Mm. She said, she always said, you know, tears are just a sign that your heart and your, your head are healing. It's just, it means like they're getting better. Mm. Um, and so it's what strong people do. Because strong, if you don't cry, you're very fragile inside. And so I was so lucky to have heard that because it helps to know it's okay to cry. Um, So I'll do it all. I've already done it like three times on this (laughs) or started to at least. But then I also love – I also think that humor is all right. Mm, Yeah. I mean I'll tell you one of the things that made it okay – in my heart that we lost our brother. Can I tell you the story of his his death? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, we knew he was going mm. at this point. You know, there was the doctors had said, send him back home, give him a comfortable bed. Uh, the, a nurse came by and hooked up the morphine. He was going quickly. So yeah, they'd given him yeah. six months. This was about, you know, four weeks later. Oh, gosh. This was happening fast. And, um, and we knew that the uh, cancer was, had moved up the spine and was probably getting in into his brain, head. And yeah. so he was having trouble speaking. We were feeding him water on a lollipop oh yeah the cotton but yeah yeah they do that yeah yeah he'd suck it out and he'd stopped sucking on it and it was just clear so we're sitting there and it's becoming very clear he's refusing water she'd also told me that's a sign that's probably Mm. it'll happen that day or that night yeah so i said this is not the fucking way my brother's gonna die Mm. it all felt so sad and so my little brother said i'm going to the store it's almost midnight so what are you getting at the store he said i'll be right back he comes back with a bottle of Crown Royal. <laughs> and I say, Marcus, are you are you done with water? And he just said, yeah. I said, what if we dip it in Crown Royal? <laughs> and his eyes went, bing, and shot open. <laughs> and so we, me and my brother took turns dipping his little sponge <laughs> into Crown Royal, and he sucked it down and sucked it down and sucked it down. And then Todd, because my brother was a party animal, right, yeah. my little brother Todd got his phone out and put on Bitchin' Camaro by the Dead Milkmen, <laughs> and we played punk rock music, and his little, my brother's arm, which was so thin now from all the wasting away, rose up and made the sign of the devil oh, and started pumping it into the air, <laughs> and I laid on the morphine button, and he sucked down Crown Royal, and he was gone within a couple of hours. That's the way to do it, baby. <laughs> But it gives, you know, it was, we had fun with it. Yeah, but that's like, what I'm hearing is love. Like, that's what you do when you love someone. You look in the face of that death and you're like, you need this and I don't want to do it. I want this to go away. I want the I want the episode to stop so I can pause and have a cup of tea and be like, well, this is really horrible. It's fucking not. It's carrying on. It's in your face. And when you love someone, you... You know, to be very English, but you get in the shit and you stay there and you fucking help them through it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's really, but what, I just keep coming back with this show. Like, 
what else is there but knowing that you like that you and your brothers loved each other so much you were able to do that for each other like that's isn't that it like that's just it that you were there with him you helped him and you played his punk rock and it was the luckiest yeah goodbye yeah you know the worst are the ones like uh my my great writing mentor who mm. got pneumonia didn't no one thought anything of it and he was gone in two days oh my god um it just didn't get treatment fast enough and it you go septic i guess and yeah, you're yeah. gone or my uh composer i was in the middle of writing a rock opera with and and he'd been sober for some time and and he overdosed he had a relapse and overdose mm. and those are the ones uh, or like my mom who they said 10 years she's in perfect health yeah. those are the ones where you you it's it, it's harder because you don't get the chance to say goodbye yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and to make sense of it. And in some cases, like the overdose, he was in a hotel room in a different state. I never, you never saw him again. He was just suddenly gone. Yeah. Grief and mourning is, is more difficult when you can't make it real. Next, you're going to hear the incredible Jason Green. Jason came in to talk to me about his daughter, Greta, who died in a very awful, awful accident when she was two years old. And he's one of the hardest and most profound episodes I've ever done. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I, I do understand. I know some of these episodes can make you think, oh, my God, I can't face it. But he really is such an incredible person and just a reminder of how much grief can do and push us all. And, yeah, he he's a really amazing man. After that, you're going to hear the very excellent Dr. Catherine Mannix. Uh, she wrote an amazing book called With the End in Mind. And she's on Twitter very regularly talking about grief and palliative care. Again, if you're dealing with pre-grief, if you know somebody who is not very well, Catherine sort of gives a roadmap of what happens when someone dies. And I have to say, it's like one of the most genuinely helpful things I've ever uh, had the privilege to listen to. After that, you're going to hear Anna Lyons, who is a death doula and runs Life, Death, Whatever, another organisation raising awareness about grief. I would really recommend following them on Twitter and Instagram because they, they do a lot of raising awareness of other grief groups and some amazing quotes. And Anna is a very inspiring lady. The nature of that accident meant that it was newsworthy. Of course. Of and course, so I never of our that. story had been told already. already yeah. When I left the hospital the day after we donated Greta's organs, um, we were sneaking out with the senior hospital administrator leading the way. Wow. Because there were news trucks patrolling the city trying to find <gasps> us. Oh, my God. Um, there had already been news reports, um, a picture of my daughter being loaded onto an ambulance that was published in one of the two major newspapers. People were bombarding the hospital, the phone calls, pretending to be family members to discover which hospital... We were staying in. Wow. And as we were sneaking out, I looked over at just the cafe to my right where they sell, you know, coffee and gum and morning papers. And in the bin, there's a picture of my daughter waving at me from the cover of one of the magazines. They had taken a Facebook picture and made her the cover story. So we were very much at the center of a sort of news maelstrom. Yeah. So... There's an extra dimension to this part of it where we are choosing this time to come back out and tell yeah, our story yeah. again, and this time you, on guess, our terms. Yeah, your side of it and how you want it to be. But said. it definitely felt loaded to open my front door and invite cameras in, you know, yeah. um, which isn't to say that I resented anyone. I mean, I've worked in media. I didn't yeah. hold it against any one person. I, I, I know how yeah, stories work. Yeah. I, uh, 
there were reporters camped outside of our building. Um, we had to sneak into our own apartment to get back in. People were accosting our neighbors. Uh, there was a guy holding a mi- hiding a microphone in a wrapped up newspaper, basically. And so eventually I just went out and I, I, I waved down the two women who were waiting in a car and just said, come here. Because I knew that all anyone wanted was one statement. And then everyone was going to leave. Oh and so God. I went down there and I waved them over and I read a statement to them. And and I could tell they were grateful because they didn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an awful part of the newspaper business. It's called the door knock, right? And so we were the people whose door was being knocked on. And then they went away. Um, and a news story appeared an hour later that said, shattered father pleads for privacy. And I was like, that's me. Yes. Okay. So that moment came and went. And it, honestly, it was a blip in the larger scale of things with what of we, course, were, we were dealing yeah. with. Um, but yeah, no, now that the, I've, I've written this book, I've decided to tell the story of all of us. Sort of, it's not just a story about me. It's not just a story about Greta. Um, the title is once more, We Saw Stars. Mm. And I chose that for a lot of reasons. Um, one, it's a quote of sorts from Dante's Inferno. Wow. It's the last line of the Inferno where they are just about to exit hell. Virgil and Dante have gone all the way to the ninth circle and they've seen Lucifer in the frozen lake and they've seen Cain nibbling on Abel and all the horrible things they see on the way down and they make their way all the way back up and only at the very end they're crawling through a tunnel and side note um, this is not an observation I've shared um, before but this is a comedy podcast so it might be (laughs) relevant Um, it came to my attention after I chose this passage that they are not just crawling through a passageway back up to earth they are actually literally crawling up through Satan's anus. <laughs> but dude, I feel like... They're crawling out of Satan's ass. I feel like perhaps you feel like, yeah, I've been there. So, <laughs> yeah. so, but that's sort of beside the point. But when someone pointed that out, they were like, you know, of course, that's not just a passageway. I was like, let's not focus on that. <laughs> um, but so... That's the detail. We don't need to go into yes, it. Yes, listen. I, look, the book cover's gone to the publishers A now. passageway is a passageway. <laughs> That's an really exit funny. is an exit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, but through that passageway, a round aperture through which they see yeah. some of the beautiful things that heaven bears. That's the passage. Wow. And once more, and once again, saw the stars. Yeah. And that imagery spoke so resonantly, that a word, to us of the kind of journey we were making, where yeah. I felt like we were crawling on hands and knees to get back to some version of our lives where there was optimism, where there mm. was a fleeting glimpse of hope, where there was some version of the ultimate. So I think that there are there's kind of medical planning. Yes. And then there's I was gonna say family planning, but I don't mean family planning, do I? But there's kind of social social care, planning. Yeah, like yeah. practical planning. Yeah. Right? yeah. So first of all, we repeatedly see people wanting to say the same things, and this this is talked about in the book, that towards the end of their lives, people who realise that the end of their life is coming. Mm particularly want to thank people they Mm. want to express appreciation to people they want to settle difficulties that they've had either by saying they're sorry to people or telling people not to worry about Mm. offences or sometimes they want to say you know you I've never forgiven you for that, which <laughs> is which is unusual, but, but yeah. sometimes that happens. But most importantly of all, that thing of telling people that we love them. Mm. Um, and sometimes people leave it too late. Mm. I'm always saying, yeah. I'm always obsessed, like, do not wait. Yeah. You don't know what unconscious state is going to hit. Yeah. You're not going to get the Hollywood moment. No, so say it. Say it today, and then you can mm. say it again tomorrow. So there's those important mm. messages. 
And then there's actually understanding, you know, if a time comes when I can't really help with making the decisions about my care anymore, there are some basic principles that I think you need to know about Mm. about me. So it might be that I'm a religious person and I would want the rabbi or the imam or the vicar to come if it looked like I was Mm. dying. Or it might be that I'm an anti-religious person and don't let any bloody religious person in the room with me at all or I'll come back and haunt you. (laughs) Um, But just, you know, so if they ask, shall we get the chaplain? Oh, I don't know. We never really talked about it. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. So do you have any advice, which is a difficult question because I get asked it all the time. Do you have any advice for someone who's like, oh... Talk to people. Just talk to them and sit with them. If they don't want to talk, don't talk, but Mm. sit with them, be with them. Let them know they're not alone. Let them know that you can bear the unbearable for them. Mm. What they're going through is unbearable. And by not being there, by crossing over the street, by ignoring them by ignoring what's going on you're letting them know that it's so unbearable that they can't even have somebody with them yeah and that they're right it yeah, is unbearable that they're right and, and no one else can carry that pain exactly carry it for mm. them even if it's just for a little bit show up keep showing up just be there 
After that, you're going to hear Charlie Maxey, who is such a beautiful artist. Go and follow him on Instagram if you haven't already, at Charlie Maxey. After that, you'll hear Simon Thomas, who talked to me very poignantly about the very, very sudden loss of his wife only a year ago. And finally, Sophie Hagen, who was talking to us about her granddad. I think it's really, really hard to make new friends when you're grieving. And I think the thing that you really need as a new mum is new friends. You need to meet people whose babies are exactly the same age as yours. There's no point meeting. If you've got a three-month-old, you do not want to meet someone with a six-month-old. Irrelevant. Irrelevant to me. Irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. (laughs) So, you know, that chance to... I do remember looking on really, really enviously of, you know, groups of new mums in you know, soft play or parks or cafes or, you know, whatever it was, all, you know, kind of jollying along with each other. And I just, that was the bit that I just couldn't do. Yeah. I couldn't sit in a room and just be, you know, happy and sharing and all of that. I was definitely locked in. Yeah, yeah, Definitely yeah. locked into something. And as it turns out, and these are one of the things that you never realise before you have a baby, I didn't live anywhere near any of my friends. Yes. You oh, know, my God. When you're in London. When you live in London, you think it's fine until you have a child, and then you're like, and fuck, you're no one's like, here. My God, I'm yeah. two zones away from my best man. No one's well, coming around. How did around. I do that? I know. How did I do that? Rookie error. <laughs> Move near your friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had exactly the same. Did you? Yeah, it's in, I was just thinking about it. It's interesting of, like, I found it really hard to make new friends and and I I found it yeah like unbearably difficult, but I wasn't grieving. But in in a way, perhaps again, it's that thing of the way grief then rolls its head up and appears again. Of like I I did find the beginning really really difficult, and it did remind me of grieving, and I felt very alone and isolated, and it really took me back so badly. So then when there were these those those women those women who can all make friends, who are those women, all having a lovely time, and I felt. I almost felt like a sort of a clown, like I'd try and join him. <laughs> oh, oh, she does that. And you could see them being like, you're not, you're yeah. not, you're not in our so, game. So no, I had exactly trying. the same thing. <laughs> like, exactly the same thing. And I remember it was in the very early days of Mum's Net when I had oh, my wow, son. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it was such a new and daring thing. And you could, you know, you could go on a, a, a little chat thread or whatever try and meet new mums in the area so I thought no I must do this you yeah, know I've yeah. been out of the house for a week you know I really must meet a new mum so I contacted this uh, when we arranged to meet in the in the local cafe and I remember putting on makeup and a proper dress <laughs> putting the baby in the buggy yeah. and, going down, and meeting this woman who just looked at me just like what on earth have you come out? <laughs> <laughs> but I just really lost that ability because yeah. I just had my head was just too full of other stuff yeah, I mean yeah. it did make yeah it was that that side of it really 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 wasn't great but I think again you know just always always trying to be positive I was really really worried that I wouldn't bond with my son because I think by that stage you know a couple of months in it had really hit me yeah yeah you know that dad had gone so I was very worried about that and that didn't happen and Maybe just actually spending so much time just yeah. me and him. <laughs> it's me and you, kid, because the other mums aren't talking to me. So exactly. that's what I used to think. Like, well, we're going to have to get on because no one else is yes, talking to us. You've got no choice. So <laughs> yep. let's you're just... in a hostage situation <laughs> here. I'm afraid there's no friends for you. It's just mummy. 
Lovely. Yeah, so we bonded. We get oh, that's on. That's good. That's so, good. You know, there is that. But yeah, it's not an easy time for no. so for so many reasons. And also, I think lots lots of people who I met, you know, other mums and stuff in those early, I just I just never told them. I just yeah, never told them. Yeah, of course. Because what are they meant to say? What's you know? What do you? I just remember thinking what what am I hoping to gain from telling people this I don't want you know I don't know them they're strangers so I don't want them to but hug me what's so me sad for you is that you might have met someone like me who would have gone oh yeah same I've yeah, been through totally. that you asked me who I'm remembering um, my, the first person I remember is Jamie who was my best friend and when I was 18 we lived we shared a, a cottage we were sort of young farmers you know <laughs> and um, he was killed in his car, and um, I remember, you know, they say that um, they, who are they? But I mean, what I'd say happened to me was I went sort of a bit mad. Mm. So you were both, how long had you known Jamie before? All my life. All your best, life. best friend, yeah. Wow. And I remember we were organising, helping organise his funeral with his mum and dad and sort of seeing this red line being drawn within me thinking yeah. everything from here is going to be different mm. so watching his little coffin go into the ground staring at it thinking what yeah how does that work were you so were you living and working together at the yeah time? i think yeah i was i was on my way to college but we'd basically shared lives you know yeah and how um, did you find out did you just get a phone call yeah or? yeah by the way charlie um and what was i was um why I'm talking about, you know, how we respond to, to, to grief is that my instant reaction, well, when I say instant, over the next six months, I I started streaking. <laughs> Not what I thought you were going to say. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, and I would go to, because I suddenly, the red line was, you know, nothing that really mattered mm. before really mattered matters now. Yeah. Um, everything that, you know, you thought was important, that, you know, that what society declared was, you know, up there, no longer was mm. because they didn't didn't matter, and I couldn't work out what really mattered. I mean, what what you know, if you get a yeah, sieve, yeah, you sieve yeah. it all, what's remaining in the sieve? Yeah, especially at eighteen, and I right. think it's really yeah because I lost my dad at fifteen, and yes, it, it's it's a hard time anyway because you're trying to be like, okay, who am I, and what yeah, does yeah, the world yeah. mean anyway? Exactly. And then when this comes on top yeah. of it, you're like, oh right, it's all bullshit. What <laughs> like? What? It's all bullshit. Yeah. yeah, and I remember being arrested, and the, the policeman. It, I, I streaked at a race meeting because I thought, you know, it was also. It's also really funny. You know? <laughs> yeah. So how? I do mean, you prepare, really, so, you know, how like, do you prepare a streak? Do you like? You know, you're going to do it. Well, it happened just without m- me planning it. Oh, I was okay. just there with some mates who are friends of Jamie's. Yeah. And, uh, I was watching it all, thinking this is just stupid. Yeah. And thinking, what would sum up how I feel <laughs> best? I know. <laughs> you know, there were all people there. Have you got the right car? You got, you got the right job? Yeah. Are you, you wearing the right clothes? You know, you, it was all bullshit. And uh, so I just took my clothes off and and I remember the feeling of running along the race course, just that, like swimming naked but better and, and falling every 15 yards or 15 feet or five feet in the mud and then getting, and being chased by police and. Oh, that was just very, it's very funny. It must have felt very, um, a bit like doing bungee jumping. Yeah, like exactly. very adrenaline, like yeah. I'm, I'm do, I am doing this yes. and no one is stopping me. Yes. 
Yeah, and it is like, you're, that's so interesting because it is exactly the thing that you're like not supposed to do. Like I'm constantly trying to get my, my daughter dressed in the morning and she ha- doesn't want to put clothes on. I'm always like, and one of the things I hear myself saying sometimes, which I hate, but it's just the last ditch resort. <laughs> it's like, you can't go out without any clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> and her being like, yeah. why? And we'd be like, oh, I don't really know. <laughs> How can you, ex- yeah, well, there you go. There's no real reason. It's just, we, normally it's like, you might get cold. That's my, my main concern. That's a brilliant answer. You might get cold. Yeah. That's it. But yeah, I can imagine it felt... Well, it was awkward because, you know, I was asked, like a policeman, I was sitting, you know, with them and in a blanket and he said, you know what, so what's this about? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great policeman question. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, I, 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 he was really nice. I think he was close to retirement and I was at the other end of life and he, I said, I don't know, you know. He said, what's going on, you know? I said, oh, I told him. And he said, well, it's, it's just a cry for help then. Oh. And I thought, fuck. Maybe it is, yeah. I remember feeling this surge of... <gasps> mm. And um, and I held it back and he said, I said, maybe. And he said, well, you could find less offensive ways of crying. <laughs> Ethan had gone back with some other friends, so they were back at the house. And, you know, this amazing group of friends and family around us sort of sorted out all Gemma's belongings... I went in to sort of hold her hand for the final time and sort of say goodbye. And and then we leave. And, I mean, that's when the car crash begins mm. because I come out of the hospital and I literally, I've never shouted as loud as I shouted. All the emotion of the day, mm. the anger at what had just happened, the, the anger at God that my pleas not to leave my boy without a mum had gone mm. unheard. I just went, I just shouted my head off. I collapsed to the floor. And then we get in the car and obviously all the way back, I'm in my head, thinking, how do I even begin to tell Ethan this? I can't avoid it. It has to come from me. can't come from anyone else. I'm trying to process that and think, how do I do this? And then we just, we hadn't eaten all day. And I, I looking back, I'm surprised I was even hungry, but we weren't. So the golden arches of McDonald's appear <laughs> in the darkness on the way back yeah, from Oxford yeah. to, to Reading. And we stopped. And you know exactly what you've just been then hits you less than two hours later because I remember vividly walking in to that fast food restaurant and here is everyday, normal life mm. right in front of you. The yeah. sound of kids messing around, farting around on those ruddy iPads that are stuck <laughs> in McDonald's. The sound of the chip fryer crackling. Just the sights and sounds of a normal Friday mm. night. But to me, it was an absolute affront. It was an offensive affront to yeah. how I was feeling because I was in the most bewildering, broken, horrible, frightening place I've ever been launched into. And yet here was a normal Friday night. And a McDonald's, and I I was so close to shout. I mean, I I came within millimeters of just going, "What the fuck is wrong with you? Mm, Yeah, my wife has just fucking died, Mm. and you're here having your quarter pounders with cheese (laughs) and your buffalo wings or whatever you're having." Uh, But of course, thankfully, I didn't because it's not their fault. I know they they don't know what's just happened. Most they don't know me. They don't know know Gemma. But it was it was like being whacked round the head with something. It was the first funeral I went to, and I don't even really remember why I, we went, uh, my grandfather's uh, funeral. I don't, I don't know why. And he was, it was quite obvious how bad of a person he had been because the uh, church was kind of almost divided into two. There was her, like his new wife's side of the mm. family, and there were so many people, and they were c- crying, and they were really, really sad that he'd gone. There were all the people who'd met him once he'd become yeah. a soft, nice guy. 
And then it was just empty where we were sitting. It was like me and my mother, my sister. So weird. Some lady that we weren't really sure who was, and that was it. And they were clearly very, they were they didn't like that not, almost none of his children were there mm. and that people didn't seem to care. But we kind of knew. And it was very strange because we were just sitting there and <laughs> there was a moment. So there's a Danish song called Adudus med himlens fugle, which means Adudus with uh, the birds in the sky. Are you friends with the birds, basically? Nice. So it's this whole song about, you know, nature and animals yeah. and how it's all lovey-dovey. And one of the things that my uh, grandfather did when he was still alive and when back before my grandmother left was uh, one of my mother's most uh, vivid memories from that time was uh, watching him kick her dog to death. And it was one of the stories of how... Oh, my God. What, well, yeah, exactly, how much of a piece of shit this guy was. And she would tell us this story quite... Uh, whenever we talked about him and then we were sitting in this church and it was you know obviously there's so much tension and you know all these people were crying and you know he was in this casket and and the the priest did the eulogy and then he introduced the song and it was that song (laughs) and i just could it was like all of the all of the tension and all of these emotions i was trying to run from became laughter yeah of course it's funny that's just like what else can you do but laugh at that because it's like so funny and i could not (laughs) i just couldn't my mom never laughs and even she was laughing and we're just like this is the worst i'm a bad person like of all the songs to chosen that is the worst song for that person yeah 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 and i said it to my mom and this is why i brought it into my show as well so it's a bit i hate it when people retell i'm I'm not telling this the way i'm telling it as a joke um i just changed it to another song but um it is true that when I then said it to my mom when I was like can I tell this story on on stage um I told her the whole, like how I was going to tell it and she of course doesn't laugh at anything <laughs> um but then she did kind of start to laugh a bit and I was like what and then she told me about how she had been like when he died and when they'd done all the arrangements and you know, who gets what mm. and all yeah. these things with his wife's new family and they had gotten together to figure out what songs to sing yeah yeah and she was like, like they had suggested that, and she'd been like, "Yeah, do that." And then she was just laughing. She was laughing. She was like, hey. "Like she totally planned for that to happen." Oh wow! She was like, "That." She was like, "That is really funny." And I was like, yeah. <laughs> "I guess it is." Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tweeting, subscribing, rating, reviewing, being a griefer, being in the club, and being part of this community. Um, I have very much enjoyed the episodes this year. It's been talking to some incredible people and relating some incredible experiences that I never thought I'd have a chance to share with everybody and learn from. It's always a weird phrase and people always say to me when they write to me, um, I've been enjoying it, if that's the right word. And yeah, we need a new word for quite what it is to be part of this community. But the only thing I can say today is thank you. I hope the festive period passes peacefully and calmly and with as much love as is humanly possible uh, i have been cariad this has been Griefcast. the show was edited by kate holland with thanks to whistledown studios the music was provided by the glue ensemble and remember you are not alone catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 